Now we just saw an enormous example of one team that was ready for what was going to happen and another team that was woefully unprepared. And I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think we should have a little bit of pride in what just happened today, right? I'm proud of our students. I'm proud of our coaches. Um, they were prepared for biblical truth and be able to not only memorize it, but be able to articulate it well. You saw with every single one who answered, it was clear. It wasn't something that was just, uh, let me just spew it out. They, they, they knew the answer. And so I'm so proud of our students. I'm so proud of our coaches. And so what I want to talk to you today is, is about how to be ready for what Christ has called us to. How to be ready for what Christ has called us to. And if you look at Scripture, it, I believe that the Bible is, uh, is pretty clear that we should be ready for one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should be ready to love the Lord. And the second thing is, is we should be ready to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I find that when we live our lives uh, today, at least for me personally, there are times if I'm honest with myself and if I'm honest with you, I find myself woefully unprepared to live the life that Christ has called me to live. And I think that that's a shame. Can anyone else relate to that, that there are times where you just feel like you're not ready? You feel like there's too many things going on at you, coming at you at one time, and you're just not prepared for a good Christian response, one that is accurate of a one of a follower of Jesus Christ. And so for me, um, I find myself unprepared when I find that my routine has just been changed. I'm one that I need to know what's going ahead, and if something interrupts me, that's when things get a little off for me. And so that happened to me the other day. I, uh, I found that I had a plan for the day, and I was going to uh, utilize that by organizing some things on my cell phone. How many of you love your cell phone? How many of you cannot live without your cell phone? There are so many good things that happen with cell phones. And there's all sorts of evil that happen with your cell phones. And so with me, I did not intend to do anything for evil. I had noble intentions. I was going to do something that I had done several times before and never had a problem. And wouldn't you know it, I did the exact thing that I was trying to do and it didn't work it's kind of annoying isn't it you pull out something you think it's going to work and it doesn't and so I did it again and it didn't work again so I'm getting a little bit more angry I'm starting to what what is happening I've done this a billion times how come it doesn't work the third time that it failed to do what I wanted it to do I lost it. I was throwing things. I was talking to my cell phone like it was a person. And I was not sharing the love of Jesus Christ with my cell phone. 
I was saying all sorts of things, things that were unloving and unkind, things that if I had the ability, the phone would have blown up before my very eyes, and I would have cheered and danced on its ashes. At that moment, I was unprepared for what was to happen. And you think about it, it's a very small thing, right? So what if your cell phone doesn't work? But I think that there are distractions like that that happen all the time in life. Distractions where things don't quite go the way we want it to. Distractions that take us on a path that we were never intended to walk upon. And as a result, we find ourselves unprepared. We find ourselves not ready to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Today, I want, to, I want to point to you to Titus chapter 3. So if you, could, so if you can uh, turn, whether it's through your cell phone or whether it, you have a paper Bible, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. To give you a little bit of a, uh, of a background of Titus, is Titus was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul was writing to a man by the name of Titus. It's pretty simple, right? And Titus was, uh, was a Greek who, was, who had gotten saved and was a follower of Jesus Christ through Paul's ministry. And not only was he saved, he was called into the ministry as a pastor. So the Apostle Paul appointed Titus to a congregation to be its pastor, and he is writing to Titus so that Titus knows these are the things that are valuable. These are the things that we should spend our time on. And so if you take a look at Titus chapter 3, it begins with these first two verses. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Doesn't that sound nice? Wouldn't it be nice if the whole world acted that way where there was no quarreling whatsoever? No quarreling at all? That you show perfect courtesy towards one another? That's nice, isn't it? How come that is so foreign in today's society? It seems like everything's a fight. It seems like people are going out of their way to look for a reason to fight. And here we find that the church is not exempt from this. There are far too many occasions where I've seen followers of Christ looking to pick a fight with somebody else. There's far too many occasions where I see Christians willing to disobey whatever authority is in front of them because, after all, I have an opinion that is different than theirs. How many times have you heard other followers of Christ say that it is okay to be disrespectful and unsubmissive to someone in authority because, after all, they believe something differently than you do. I hear it all the time. I see it all the time. And I think that 
when it comes to political ideologies, when it comes to things that happen in our culture, when it comes to some guy cutting us off in traffic, when it comes to someone stealing our parking lot at the supermarket, when it comes to somebody who has a cart full of groceries going to the express lane that specifically says seven items, and you know if it's seven items, then it's seven sections of a cart full of groceries. If it comes to any of these things, there is no place for a follower of Jesus Christ to act discourteously to somebody else. If we do that, then we are misunderstanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It means at that moment, we are not ready. That doesn't mean that we ignore truth, does it? It doesn't mean that we walk away from things. When it comes to things like, say, for instance, politics, I find that the followers of Jesus Christ have two options. They either hide and, and, and try to avoid all of it, or they go the other direction, and they find themselves spewing hate and anger and frustration and saying all sorts of despicable, ugly things that have no place in the, in, in the body of Jesus Christ. Neither of those things are okay. Neither of those things have anything to do with being a follower of Jesus Christ. And if I, I think if you take a look at what Jesus did, there were times where he spoke truth, but there were times where he legitimately followed the, the, followed the rule of law. There were times where he paid taxes. There were times where he put himself into submission. And there were times where he loved people even when they supposedly didn't deserve to be loved. For us, it is not okay to allow our own personal opinions to take us away from what Jesus has called us to do. We don't like it? That's fine. You want to stick to truth? That's fine. But there better be the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Otherwise, who cares if you won the argument? we have something far greater to focus on. And that is whether or not somebody else is spending eternity with Jesus Christ or whether they're not. That we show the love of Christ to somebody else. That we live according to his truth. What do you think it looks like to show perfect courtesy to somebody? What does that look like? I am pretty good at a lot of different things. But I've never been perfect. Have you been perfect? Because I want to learn from you. So what does it mean when Paul says to have perfect courtesy to show to other people? I think that that has to do with what our mindset is. That this is not an option to show courtesy to one another, to show love to one another. That it's something that we relentlessly pursue. And if that means that we fight against our desires and our abilities and our, and, our, and, and our selfishness, if we fight that on a continuous basis just so that we can go out of our way to be courteous to somebody that we normally wouldn't be courteous to, then that's what we should do. We should constantly be on this war path that says, 
I do not matter, but others do. I should show them love. I should show them courtesy. You know, in terms of being ready, I saw a football game yesterday. It was a wonderful football game. My Syracuse Orange finally beat Florida State after many, many times of fighting each other in the past. They finally beat them. It's great, isn't it? They won. I was so happy when that happened. But there was a particular play that happened in that game where clearly two people on our team were not very ready. Florida State was running down the field and the wide receiver cut in and both, wide receiver, and both of our defense decided, oh no, we weren't ready for that. And so they started running towards the, uh, towards the wide receiver. And at some point they ended up missing and they ended up hitting each other. How many of you know that that's not really supposed to happen? They're supposed to hit the other team. And so they hit each other, and one of the guys got hurt. They had to help him off the field because he got hit by his own man. You're supposed to help your teammates. And at that moment, it was very clear that at that play, they weren't ready. You see, being ready is not only about ourselves and our relationship with Christ. It's about protecting those around you so that they don't get hurt. And it's about reaching out to others so that they come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to be ready? You have to, you have to acknowledge, one, that you're not going to get it right all the time. You have to acknowledge something that is my first point here, our past putridity. I know a lot of you have been waiting for months now, waiting to hear the word putridity being uttered in a sermon. Congratulations, and this is my gift to you. Um, But we have to acknowledge our past putridity. And here, let's take a look at verse 3 and see what we're talking about here. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And, and, And it's interesting to note here that Paul uses the phrase, for we were once this way. This is why we are called to something that is greater, because this is something that we should have left behind. But he's telling us here, we were once this way, so stop indulging in something that you should have said goodbye to a long time ago. If we have malice and envy in our hearts, it's because we have blatantly disregarded the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. There is no place for malice or envy. If we are disobedient and we find ourselves being slaves to passions and pleasures, then we are disregarding the work of the Holy Spirit. It's filth. It's poison. And for far too often in the lives of believers, 
we find ourselves enslaved to the things that Jesus set us free from. We have disregarded him unlocking the keys and we have chosen to keep our hands in place and instead of walking in the freedom that Christ has for us. So much hatred. Time and time again, I see Christians fighting with each other. And I see Christians fighting with the ones that we are called to show the gospel of Jesus Christ to. And the thing is, is that if we acknowledge how filthy we have been in our past, and we show how filthy we have been on a continuous basis because we are all human beings and fall short of the glory of God, if we acknowledge how disgusting and incomplete that we are, if we acknowledge that, then maybe that will give us some perspective. Maybe that will give us some, uh, some perspective in how other people are. You see, we love to point at other people and their weaknesses. But if we point at ourselves first, then we can perhaps excuse the offenses in them that we are so willing to excuse ourselves for. You see, there's no place for us to ignore how much we need a Savior. There's no excuse for it. And so what do we do from moving on from our past sins, from our past filth, from our past putridity, is, is that we must lean on God's grace. We must lean on God's grace. Take a look at verse 4 and on to verse 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news? The fact that he saved us, why? Why did he save us? Was it because we have obeyed super good? That we've obeyed a whole bunch of times, therefore we deserve him saving us? Is that the reason? No, right? Is it because we've worked so hard? Is it because that we've learned so much Bible knowledge? Is that the reason why he saved us? Or is it because of his grace? Is it because he willingly reached down to us and lifted us out of the pit, out of the muck and the mire, and set our feet upon a rock? He has given us so much because of his grace. If it was about your obedience, if it was about all of the wonderful things that you have learned, then Christ never would have come to this earth. He never would have. Or if he did, he certainly wouldn't have died. He certainly wouldn't have gone through that whole trouble of dying and being resurrected because if it was about our knowledge and if it was about our works, all he needed to do was to come here and set up a bunch of seminars. We all would have come. 
we've all would have learned what was being taught for thousands of years through the law, through all of the priests and the prophets. He would have taught the exact same thing. We all would have said, oh, now we get it. And we would have lived our lives the way God had intended us. But for whatever reason, he didn't do that. Why? Because we are simply incapable of reaching up to the height and to the standard that God is calling us to. Why? Because of our sin. Our sin simply doesn't allow us to reach it. We need God's grace first. That has to happen first. Otherwise, there is no length that we can go to on our own. We need God's grace. And there is a term here that is being used called, the, called regeneration. And it covers salvation, and it covers the forgiveness that God gives us, but it continues on with our life and how we are able to live since then as new creations. Jesus talks about us being born again. This is what he's talking about. Becoming brand new and having our heart changed to the point where we now regard sin the way we should as something that is disgusting and should be ignored. We start to view loving others as Christ loved us. We view that as something that now should be valued. And it's something that begins to happen as the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. Do you find yourselves not able to love another person? Hard to love another person? Perhaps you need to take a look at what God is doing in your life and whether or not you are ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit. We have to give up fighting for temporary, insignificant gains so we can start fighting the fights that matter. There's lots of things in this earth to fight for, but yet we find ourselves fighting over the stupidest stuff. When are we going to finally come together as the body of Christ and fight for the things that matter? When are we finally going to reach out the way Christ has called us to? I believe we at Grace Assembly, we are taking those steps forward that Christ has called us to. Do you believe that? There is a glorious future that Christ has called us to. And it involves us saying goodbye to the things that we should have died to a long time ago, embracing God's grace and moving forward ahead to what he has called us to. See, after we say goodbye to our past putridity and we embrace God's grace, it, it results in us being devoted disciples. If we take a look at verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. There seems to be this constant struggle that the universal church has had throughout all of history. And it is this this struggle uh, between grace and works. What is the role of grace? What is the role of our works? And I say that if you find yourselves too far in one camp, you are missing the point and you find yourself not ready for the work that God has called you to do. 
You see, if you don't start with grace, if you don't start with the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for your sins and to delivering you uh, from all unrighteousness and renewing you to the point where you are now going forward in Jesus Christ, if you don't acknowledge that grace portion first, then your works doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. And so if you... Uh, if, 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 if you don't acknowledge this first, you're missing it. But if you go to the other end and you find yourself doing all of this work, doing all of this, uh, learning as much as you can and trying to earn salvation, trying to earn spiritual favor and blessing simply because you are doing things and not simply responding to God's grace. If you are finding yourself in this camp where it's all about your works, then you're missing it. I don't know about you, but there are times where I work awfully hard and I find that I am unable to reach the goal that I have in front of me. I can plan all I want and it doesn't necessarily mean that I will get there. Now, how many of you can relate to me in saying that you may have at one time or another decided that you we're going to start working out again. How many of you have made that decision before? How many of you were successful in that decision? Hmm? I'm, I'm seeing no, oh, there you go. We have a hand in the back. I need to talk to you later about that. You see, I have made a plan over and over and over again. I'm going to work out again. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to start jogging. I've never wanted to jog. Never in the history of my existence have I ever gotten up and said, you know what I want to do right now? I want to run for no reason. It's never happened. But there are time after time where I, I decide I need to start working out again. I need to start jogging. I'm going to do this, and I have it all mapped out, and this is what I'm going to do, only for me to get up and say, <laughs> no. Why is that? It's because my heart wasn't in it. My heart wasn't in it. And so for us, we have this this balance between God's grace and our works. And so if we have God's grace, he will begin to change our heart. And as he is changing our heart, we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is working and we simply respond. Because if we don't respond, then it's not going to matter because God isn't going to treat us like some puppet. He's not going to pull our strings. He is going to simply work and then expect us to respond. We need both in our lives. And if we find ourselves doing both, we find ourselves being devoted disciples that is ready for what God has called us to. It says in that verse to be good for every good work. How many of you know what this thing is? How many of you hate this thing as much as I do? It's not a good thing. And so when the Bible says to be prepared for every good work, I don't necessarily think of this. 
But all of those leaves that will fall and I will rake up, more leaves are going to fall afterwards. And so here's the thing. I'm assuming that you have neighbors near you that have the same leaves that will fall down and they hate it just as much as you. What would it look like for a congregation full of people to reach out into their community and start raking leaves and doing things that everyone else hates just for the, just for the sake of you being ready and prepared to do every good work? Obviously, it goes beyond this. I mean, once you rake up a yard, you don't go into their kitchen and start, you know, going one around. There's lots of other things that we can do. My point is this. For us to be prepared for every good work, we don't have to make it too hard or too complicated. All we have to do is open our eyes and see that there is plenty of things for us to be involved in for every good work. We're going to put on some music as we go through this last point. And as you do, would you start to consider at the moment that the Holy Spirit might be speaking to your heart? That there is a response from you that he is calling for you? See, after becoming devoted disciples... It ends with these few verses here where we are to avoid foolish fighting. It says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Folks, there are times where we have divisions within our body that are not only unnecessary, but it's something that has consequences that we should avoid at all costs. So what do you find yourself fighting over? Why do you find yourself in tension with another person? Is it truly gospel-centered? Is it Jesus-focused? Does it matter in that sense? Is there, eternal, is there an eternal nature to this? Because if not, then we should probably consider letting that stuff go. How many of you right now need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit because you've sinned against God and another brother and sister in Christ? Hmm? It's hard to do sometimes. It's hard to do what is right because sometimes our feelings and our emotions are connected to that. We have hurt and we have pain. And we don't want to let it go. But the thing is, with every dead and decaying thing that we hang around and hold on to, eventually sickness and disease is going to come to us. You hang around a dead body long enough, sooner or later you're going to get sick. It's time for us to let go of that poison and that disease so that we can allow 
God to change our heart and to be united as Christ has called us to be. Too often we're willing to ignore what is right in order to obtain what is cheap. Whatever you have to fight, whatever you're fighting about, I promise you this, in the context of eternity, it doesn't mean much. Wouldn't it be better to let that stuff go? Wouldn't it be better to start living a life of faith where people can see that Jesus Christ is the one that is dictating your actions. He's the one that's changing your heart and that you can respond to fights and to quarrels in a way that is far different than the way the world does. Now is the time for examination. Now is the time for you to ask yourself, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? For some of you, he is speaking to your heart. And you feel something on the inside that is tugging you. That's the Holy Spirit. So with everyone bowing their heads and closing their eyes, I'm going to ask you, have you responded to God's grace? You see, you've been trying to live your life right all this time. You've been trying to live for him. But you have, for whatever reason, held off on giving your life to Jesus Christ. I can assure you, you will never ascend spiritually to where you need to be until you allow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You repent from the things that are holding you back, you repent from your sin, and you embrace the grace of God. For those of you who haven't done that yet, whether you haven't heard about it or whether you have heard about it but had not yet submitted, I'm giving you now this time to respond to this invitation to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 